Welcome to the Cell Culture Dish podcast, closed system cell therapy manufacturing, moving from the lab to clinical and commercial production. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. Today's podcast is a panel discussion, and we'd like to welcome our panel members. Joining us today is Phil Vanek, general manager of growth strategy, cell therapy, GE Healthcare. Liz Sazar, development manager, center of commercialization of regenerative medicine, and Aaron dolgar Tolik. Director of Research and Head of Process Development Team, Cell Therapy, GE Healthcare. Bill, I wanted to start with you and ask you if you could please tell me what are the key considerations for taking a cell therapy from the academic setting to a clinical and then eventually a commercial process? There's a number of considerations, and also, let me divide it up this way. I think the first and foremost is the biology. In cell therapy, there is no single cell therapy. There's no single cell source. So first and foremost, we are working with biological materials that have considerable heterogeneity, not only by the cell type, but also based on any prior you know, treatment history, genetic makeup, or environmental impact that the patient has been exposed to historically. So you know, the first and foremost is really understanding the biology. Secondly, it's starting as early as possible to understand the scale of the therapeutic indication. How many cell doses will you endeavor to treat in some distant future? What are the technology limitations that you have? And what do you anticipate the adoption? Because everything ultimately will be driven by the patient numbers. So once we kind of connect the dots between the biology and the subsequent some future number of patients that will be treated, we can start to envision a process that will typically involve lots of process development to do a few fundamental things. Uh, Be scalable to the point where the, the number of doses that will be required can be matched or met. Secondly is to understand the number of cells per dose so that the technologies and platforms that are adopted to manufacture those cells can actually achieve that that scalability. And then ultimately, it's starting to close and connect the processes, and I'm sure we'll have quite a bit of time to talk about it. But I think fundamentally, those are the key elements, understanding that you're going to be scaling processes that exist today, translating them into a future uh, manufacturing scale requirement, and then doing that with anticipation of the regulatory requirements that you're going to have to sort of marry up to. To follow up on that, what do you think are the biggest challenges in that process? If you look back a few years and look at the technologies that have been available to people, there's not been a wealth of GMP reagents and materials available to people. The technologies that were available were borrowed heavily from the bioprocess or the blood processing industry, and none of these technologies necessarily work together. So a vein-to-vein process for any particular cell therapy indication required really a piecemeal cobbling together of equipment uh, and materials to work in concert to complete that entire workflow process. Because of that sort of disconnecting and picking technologies off the shelf, two things materialized. The first is those technologies weren't necessarily designed for the purpose of producing cells uh, using in these workflows. And then secondly, those devices were not necessarily all from the same manufacturer or had any ability to work in, in a streamlined process or in an environment which was considered uh, GMPable. So the, the challenge that the industry faced 
up to this point was really building and, and you know, block and tackling the different technologies into a continuous workflow. That introduced lots of labor in, uh, intervention, lots of manual steps in the process, and really a compromise on the technologies that were available to make the process work. So a bit of a brute force approach. That makes sense when, you know, you're trying to cobble things together. That's a big challenge. I wanted to talk a little bit about a phrase that we hear a lot that's very important when we are talking about cell therapy. And Aaron, I'll direct this question to you. Can you explain for us why a closed system is so important in cell therapy manufacturing? Yeah, absolutely. At its core, first off, when we refer to closed processing or a closed process, we're really suggesting that we've created a process such that the biological material, whether it's early in the process or moving towards final product stage, is never exposed to the open environment. And at its core, you know, the main reason why that's so critically important is that every time you expose that, you're introducing a risk of contamination and product loss. So by fully closing down your process, you're really removing those chances to lose your product due to a contamination cycle. But then beyond that, closure starts to enable you to do several things that become very attractive from a manufacturing perspective as well. Right? So by closing the process, you're also in a lot of ways enabling more automation to be integrated in, and that can help impact the timelines of your process or the cost of your process. And then from a manufacturing facility perspective, full closure lets you take better advantage of the footprint of your facility. You can start to put patient samples in the same room because you can convince the regulatory bodies that you have you know, no risk or an, or an acceptable risk of cross-contamination. You can start to look at, can you do your manufacturing with lower clean room requirements, which has profound implications in terms of both where you can manufacture, what your facility needs to look like, and the cost of constructing and operationalizing and running that facility. So closure has a lot of these kinds of advantages that it can bring to an overarching manufacturing process. Now I'm going to follow up with another question about challenges. Can you share with us the primary hurdles to achieving a completely closed system in this space? Sure. So I think some of the main challenges are ones that Phil's already alluded to, which is to state that you know, you're coming into this space with really no equipment or processes or kits that were specifically designed for it. So you're kind of, I'll say, cobbling together um, either equipment that was used for other things in other fields or equipment that's being freshly designed. So it makes it very hard to plug it together in a closed and integrated fashion. I would also say the fact that you now have these living cells, which are your therapeutic product of interest, adds a lot of complexity, and the processes that we see to create these living drugs are more challenging than you've dealt with in a small molecule or a protein-based scenario. So we often have to accommodate with a lot more complexity and workflow and steps that are just hard to fully bring together and integrate and close. So I'd say those are kind of the, the key barriers that have presented the field, uh, prevented the field from rapidly moving from kind of a more open manual process to more of a closed approach. Just with the challenges that you just talked about, I would imagine that companies working in this space have a lot of questions about how to proceed. What advice do you have for companies that are making this transition from academic to commercial and what kind of support is available to them? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I think at a fundamental level, and first off, 
take the time to understand the product that you're trying to develop, what your aspirations for that product, if you are commercially successful and launch it, will be. And it kind of goes back to what Phil was alluding to earlier. You know, start with your end vision. You know, I want to create so many doses for such and such an indication. And then start to work backward to understand what changes to your process are going to be required. It's a common misconception, you know, when you're talking to early stage groups that, you know, oh, if I have to close my process, I need to do it all right now. And I don't have the money or the time to do that. And it's just not the case. You know, as you look at the regulatory pathway and the expectations of the regulatory groups, they really want to see a phased approach where you are learning and better controlling your process at every step of the way. So if you start by understanding where you want to finish and then work backwards to say what types of changes do you want to make at what stages of your clinical development pipeline, that's a great approach so that you kind of take bite-sized chunks. Um, you know, I also recognize that oftentimes the groups that are developing these therapies are, are brilliant groups, but oftentimes their expertise is more on the biology or the, you know, clinical development side of the world than it is in understanding how you bring a, a commercial scale manufacturing process to bear. So there are a number of groups out there that have deep expertise. Um, you know, GE Healthcare, CCRM are just two of the options out there. And these groups can work with you to kind of take you through the key considerations that apply to your process and help guide you through and establish a mutual plan for how you want to achieve those goals. You know, and if I were to, to cherry pick an example here, you know, GE Healthcare's Enterprise Solution Team has just launched a, a fast track training course for cell therapy to try and help some of this education and to help customers do some of this themselves. And then we also offer a wealth of services to, you know, groups that want a little bit more hands-on approach. You know, so those are just some examples. I think that's a great point that you make that the, on the research side of things, there's a certain set of skills and then biomanufacturing requires a, a completely other set of skills. And it's really helpful for these companies who are coming from this more research academic area to be able to understand and get the help that they need with the actual biomanufacturing side of things. Um, and that leads me perfectly into my next question. Um, Liz, could you tell me uh, when a company comes to CCRM for process development help, what details of their current process are you most interested in, um, in terms of being able to help them with their process? Yeah, I think there's, there's really two main types of pieces of information. And I think it's really important in those conversations that we have, our technical teams uh, having kind of deep technical conversations with uh, the scientists on the other end. And I think firstly, we're wanting to understand as much as we can around their current process. How are they doing things now? And you know, what parts of that are working really well and which parts are proving to be challenging where they're looking for um, some improvements or some new solutions. And, you know, I think to echo some of what both Aaron and Phil said, I think it's important to look at the near-term needs as well as the longer-term needs and understand what are the priority challenges that might help facilitate a group get into an early clinical trial that has a short timeline. Um, and, and as well as that, what are some of the longer-term challenges and can we kind of stage the process development work to meet both of those types of needs? And then the second thing is really an understanding of the targets of their process. 
So what are the details of the product that they're producing? Um, do they have clinical release criteria already tied to this product that need to be maintained or, or changed? And, you know, how do we work in what they know about their product targets into our process development work? I think it would be helpful if you could, uh, for companies who are considering making this transition, if you could walk us through what working relationship is like with you and if there are any common challenges that most companies experience. I think that uh, one of the key things about the working relationship that we try to take is really close interaction and communication with the company that we're working with. And I think this goes back to the fact that both parties are bringing perhaps different but complementary expertise and background to the conversation. And I think it's really critical that we have that close working relationship and, you know, confirm that every recommended process change that we might be thinking about implementing makes sense with what they know about the biology of their cells as well as their clinical needs. And, you know, we try to do that by having working phone calls with clients regularly and just really make sure we're staying in, in close communication. I think, you know, in terms of challenges, I think in general, a couple, couple of things there. I think one is that everyone is on tight timelines. You know, the cell and gene therapy field is moving so quickly and uh, everyone is in quite, uh, you know, quite a rush to get their product into the clinic. And I think that it, it can be difficult to balance that clinical timeline and, you know, pressure that's coming on that end with ensuring that uh, the process development work that's absolutely critical to get there is done in advance of those timelines. And I think this is where understanding the priority needs and staging projects is important. And then I think another challenge, and this one is a little bit more uh, of a technical subtlety perhaps, is just around ensuring that the details that we get from the clients are are specific enough that we really are confident that we're mimicking the way in which they're handling their cells and they're carrying out their analytics. So as an example, you know, we might have a client that carries out a cell count in a different way or with a different piece of hardware that we do, and um, as a result, the the output of that cell count might be quite different. And if we know those details up hand, uh, if we know those details up front, we're able to kind of take that into account and ensure that we're demonstrating comparable outputs to what they're seeing. We talked a little bit about the lack of kind of technologies and tools to support cell therapy initially, but I'm I'm wondering, could you share with us some of your favorite process development tools that you implement in your work um, with your clients? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, it's it's a quite an exciting time in the field because there are a lot of new tool and hardware and reagent developments that are coming into play quite quickly. And I think that we're always looking to implement some of those new technologies into processes at the appropriate time. So one of the types of studies that we carry out frequently in our process in our process development lab is uh, design of experiment or DOE type approaches where we might want to look at multiple factors that might impact the outcome of a cell culture, for example, and we want to understand how those factors might interact with one another. And so we have some tools where we're able to run cell culture experiments on smaller scales 
in order to interrogate a number of different parameters. And we either do this with scaled down bioreactor systems, or we do this with some of the automated liquid handling tools that we have in our facility. And this allows us to have that really broad look at the parameters and their impact and zero in on the design space that's most appropriate for the specific product and then sort of carry on the subsequent process development work and perhaps explore that at a larger scale from there. That's great. And I wanted to follow up just with a broader question. Phil, maybe you could answer this one for me. Um, In terms of cell therapy manufacturing as a whole, where do you think we are now and where do you think we need to go to fully realize the promise of of the cell therapy industry? That's a great question. I I think we are fairly far along on some of the therapeutic evolution. I think there's some new technologies we're going to be seeing in the in the coming years that will impact kind of the design of the therapy. I think one big change that we're seeing over the last several years is, and maybe a bit of a prediction here, is I think that moving forward, more and more of these cell therapies will have a component of genetic modification or manipulation sort of added to them, whether to enhance the targeting, whether to enhance the survival in tumor microenvironments, or simply just to um, turn up the mechanism of action in some way. So I think, you know, the therapeutic evolution and advancement is driving the need for maybe not so much rethinking the manufacturing and commercialization process, but it certainly does change the, you know, the thinking in terms of how many cells we might need in the future, what's the best way to materialize the starting material, are there other cell types that could be equally or more effective using these new therapeutic approaches. So I think on the the therapeutic side, we're evolving pretty quickly. And then the challenge then from a manufacturing and commercialization perspective is twofold. One is to really think about the broader supply chain elements. How do we bring all the pieces together into a single location or combine and integrate that manufacturing center into the broader clinical delivery path? But how do we sort of envision a a full suite of capabilities, whether it is scheduling, um, optimizing factory workflows and processes. But you'll start to notice that we use language much more of supply chain today than we did even three or four years ago. And we think about sort of the embedding of these platforms into the, into the clinical ecosystem as much as we talk about just manufacturing another like bio, uh, biomaterial or biomolecule. But the, the, the challenge is it takes several years to invent and, and develop a new technology that might be very useful in manufacturing today at the same time that those therapies are evolving and changing. So again, we're always looking forward and making our investments based on a number of assumptions we make about the market. So to answer your question succinctly, how far along are we? I think we're making very rapid progress. Um, but I still think that there is going to be continual improvement and continual evolution of the platforms and technologies we need. So I can't give you a sort of a fuel gauge perspective on how full or empty we are or how far along the process we are. But tremendous advances, I would certainly say we're, we're kind of getting into the cell and gene therapy 2.0, maybe 3.0 realm um, and then moving very, very quickly towards some future state where we've we've retired a lot of the risks that Aaron and Liz were talking about. We've improved processes and we've sort of brought together a lot of the not only manufacturing elements, but also the connectivity into the clinical centers. 
I agree completely. It's it's um, interesting, or it's been interesting to see as we go to, as I go to various conferences, how not only, as you mentioned, the the clinical side of things has progressed rapidly and dramatically, uh, but also I see more and more uh, companies that are catering to the industry, and like GE is. It has a whole area where they're focusing on cell and gene therapy, enabling technologies for manufacturing. And it's really great to see how uh, the exhibit areas have even um, evolved to address the needs of these of the cell therapy and gene therapy space and been able to, to uh, respond to missing technologies or missing products uh, for biomanufacturing by implementing new and exciting technologies just for the cell therapy space. Um, that's been really good to see. So that's all the questions I have. I really thank you all for your time today. That was a really interesting discussion. Um, but I would like to give you guys the opportunity to uh, add anything else for our listeners today. Does anyone have anything they'd like to add in closing? I think I would just say that you know it's an extremely exciting time in the cell and gene therapy space. I think the last year has seen some real advances in transitioning things from you know clinical stage to commercial stage and starting to see some of the realization. I think that we've seen you know to the point that all of this is making a lot of advances in the technology that are going to let us enter kind of a new manufacturing and focused paradigm. And I would just say that, you know, there are groups out there um, like GE Healthcare, like CCRM, that I think can really help benefit anyone who uh, is interested in trying to produce their own therapies. I think it's a really exciting time. And I would just layer on top of what Aaron just said, it's never too soon to start thinking about the future and what the scale will be and um, leveraging the access to these groups. But uh, start now. That actually brings up a great point. One follow-up question uh, that I just thought of, at what point would you recommend companies approach groups like GE and CCRM to help them with their process? At what stage do you recommend that, that companies come and start planning their, their commercial process? I think that, you know, Phil, Phil's point was, was well spoken there, that it never is too soon. I think that it's important, and we're seeing this more and more, I think, that groups are starting to think about the process implications early on in their development work. And I think at those early development stages, you can be interacting with the enabling technology company and providers to help understand what your options are and, and you know, when things might be implemented. We certainly see customers that are coming to us. Many of them are in the preclinical stage. Many of them are in the phase one or phase two trial stage. And I think that that we really see as the sweet spot where groups are needing the scale and the process development work to achieve their near-term goals. And they are sort of positioned to be able to take on the first steps towards that. That's great. And um, we'll make sure that in our show notes, we put information about how uh, companies can reach out to you if they have questions or need further information. So if no one has anything else to add, we'll close the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To learn more about this and other stem cell and biomanufacturing related topics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com. Or for downstream biomanufacturing topics, 
www.downstreamcolumn.com.